Good to see you. Thanks for coming to baptism class. Uh, just for y'all to know, oh, welcome to Kidtown, by the way. That's by the mural behind me. Uh, we had a couple different meetings going on all at the same time, so that meant we get to go up in Kidtown. Um, but uh, my goal today, I'm going to keep it short. Uh, this is Jeff. Jeff is a pastor in training. Everybody say hi, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Um, I'm Kent. I'm one of our pastors. And uh, our goal, t- thank you. Great. Thanks, Antoinette. That's great. Um, my goal, our goal for today is to just to teach you a little bit about what baptism is. Baptism is obviously a huge deal to us at Midtown. Uh, we take it very seriously, but also we take it very celebratively. Nailed it. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, And so we just want to make sure that everybody has a good understanding of what it is that they're participating in. Uh, We want you guys to feel like you understand what's happening on Easter Sunday when you get baptized. Um, So our goal is to just go through that content with you today. It should be pretty short. I think it'll be no more than about 30 minutes. So I know it's kind of warm up here. We had a little problem with our AC this morning, but I think Jeff fixed it. So everybody say thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, um, So let's do this first. Let's just go practical. Flip to the very last last page of the packet. Um, I want to just go through the the details of Easter Sunday for you, um, just so you know when and where to be everywhere. Uh, I noticed there's an error on the very first bullet point, so we're we're professionals here. Um, The the first bullet point, the Easter gathering is at 11 a.m., but it is not on November 23rd. Uh, It is Sunday, April 5th. So that's Easter Sunday. It should be easy to remember. Hopefully you realize that Easter Sunday is not on November 23rd. But just to be clear, uh, April 5th um, at 11 a.m., one gathering. We, sometimes at Easter, if you've been with us on Easter before, you know that we do, sometimes we do two gatherings. This year will just be one big gathering at 11 a.m. Uh, it's going to be at the Metropolitan Convention Center, uh, which if you've never been there, it's kind of next to the Colonial Life Arena right there in the Vista on Lincoln Street. You've got an address there if you need it. Um, but we'll be meeting there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, second bullet point, you will need to meet in the upstairs hallway near the bathrooms at 9.45 a.m. Um, so we'll just meet and we'll go through a brief orientation on the, the technicalities of baptism because we don't want anybody to drown. Um, and so be there at 9.45 so we can go through all that. Uh, baptisms will be done in what is known as a portable baptistry, which essentially is just a big round tub. A lot of you guys have probably seen it before. It's like a hot tub, but the water is not as warm. So um, we'll try to keep it fairly warm, but there's no guarantees. Sometimes our heater works, sometimes it doesn't. So um, what do I wear slash bring? We would encourage you to wear dark colored clothing um, because the idea behind getting in the water is that sometimes your clothes stick to you uh, and you don't want to be wearing light colored clothing when that happens. So uh, usually what people do is just wear a dark colored t-shirt, dark colored pair of shorts, um, they don't mind getting wet. Uh, don't show up in like a bikini or speedo or anything like that. That'd uh, be a little bit awkward for everybody. So, um, come on in. Uh, we all sign in on the computer and then just grab one of those packets. <clears throat> so that's what you wear. Uh, bring a towel and a change of clothes. We'll have restrooms available for you guys to change after you get baptized. Um, and we'll walk you through all the details of that. But just make sure you bring a towel and a change of clothes, whatever you want to wear to the gathering. Uh, after you get baptized, but I would probably, if I were you, I'd probably show up wearing what you're going to get baptized in. Does that make sense? Um, who baptizes you? A lot of you already have people that you indicated on the sign up that you want to baptize you. Uh, 
if that is the case, if you have a person who's not a Midtown pastor that's baptizing you, you will be responsible uh, for communicating this information to them. And I'll send it to you tomorrow in an email, uh, so you in a PDF format, so you can just forward it on to them. Uh, but I'll trust you to communicate with them because I don't have all their emails and phone numbers and all that. Um, so just make sure that you do that. Everybody hear that? Because sometimes people show up and the person baptizing them isn't there, and it's just... It's awful, because I, I want people to be able to get baptized by who they want to be baptized by. Hey, how you doing? We just sign in and then grab one of those baptism packets. Cool. So you'll communicate everything on this page to that person, and I'll email it to you tomorrow so you can do that. Uh, and then if you don't have a specific person that you would like to baptize you, uh, a Midtown pastor can do it, and then you are not responsible for communicating it, because we'll make sure it gets communicated. Most likely it'll be me. So, Sorry. Wish you could be luckier than that, but it's just me. Um, where do I sit? Uh, slash, can my family and friends sit with me? Uh, prior to being baptized, we'll have a section roped off for you to sit near the baptistry just so you can get there quick when it's your time of the service. Um, after that, if, you're, if your parents or your family are able to save seats for you, uh, feel free to go for that. I don't know that that will be possible because there's probably going to be a whole lot of people there. Um, so we may just have to hang out with family before and after the gathering. Um, hope that's okay. Uh, the next one, after being baptized, uh, that's what I just said. Uh, if you have any questions uh, about baptism, my email is there. Um, and then the last thing that we just always like to mention is who should you invite? So the thing about Easter, you guys probably know this, but a lot of people that would never set foot in a church service will show up on Easter Sunday. Um, and that's just Christmas and Easter Christians, like, right? Like, that's what people do. Um, in addition to that, if you are getting baptized and there's somebody that you know of that you've been wanting to invite to hear about Jesus for a long time, uh, they might would never come otherwise to hear somebody preach at them. But if you say, hey, I'm getting baptized on this Sunday, and especially being on Easter Sunday, I bet you people will come. And so I would say take advantage of it as much as you can. Um, anybody that you've been building relationships with and just hoping to get them to come around and um, hear about Jesus, this is a great opportunity to do that because people generally will not go, no, I will not come to your baptism. It's still generally culturally rude. And so I would just encourage you, if there's somebody you know of, uh, go ahead and invite them to come with you. Tell them Easter Sunday, 11 a.m. Uh, all that makes sense. So you can email me if you have like specific questions for you, uh, but any questions that you feel like other people might be wondering that you want to go ahead and ask now about all that. Everybody good? Cool. Uh, feel free to email me if you've got any other questions on those details. So we'll go ahead and kick off the class content. So here's what I know about baptism. Uh, I know that in this room, we're coming from all over the map when it comes to baptism. I know a lot of you might have grown up Catholic, and so you may have been baptized as a baby or know people that were. You might have grown up Presbyterian and, and been baptized when you were a child and then gone through confirmation or something like that. Uh, you may be like me, and you grew up in a uh, very Baptist church, and you walked the aisle and did that whole deal when you were maybe 8, 9, 10 years old. Uh, you may come from a more Pentecostal background, and so maybe you experienced kind of two baptisms. They talk about baptism uh, for salvation and then baptism of the Holy Spirit. Whatever your background is, baptism is just something that historically people have been all over the map on. And so I think what you'll find is we're a little bit different than kind of all of those in some ways in the way that we approach it. But what we want to do is just make sure we unpack it so that you guys are super clear on it and there's no confusion. Um, as we get started, we're just going to talk about what is baptism. Uh, so does somebody want to read uh, Romans chapter 6, 3 through 7? Somebody like reading out loud? Pull up on your phones or 
Somebody with a great loud voice, maybe. All right. Three through seven. Do you not know what all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Thank you. Um, so first, right in that box under where it says Romans 6, uh, let's put uh, baptism is a demonstration of being united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. It's a demonstration of being united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. So you kind of see that in Romans chapter 6, right? It, it talks about how, how literally in baptism um, we participate with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, and therefore our death to our old life and resurrection from our old life. Um, secondly, uh, still in that box right there, uh, baptism is a celebration of joining the community of believers. Baptism is a celebration of joining the community of believers. So if you've been around Midtown for long, and especially if maybe you're also taking Midtown class right now, you know that we, we talk a lot about this. We, we talk a lot that uh, when we are saved by Jesus, um, we don't just go from an unsaved, isolated individual to a saved, isolated individual. That when we come into God's family, well, well now we're, we have a lot of brothers and sisters too. And so the way we say it sometimes in, Baptist, in Midtown class is that when we get God as Father, we also get a whole bunch of new brothers and sisters. That nobody gets baptized just to celebrate their individual salvation. We're also celebrating the fact that we're joining God's family, that we're joining a community of believers. So it's those two things. Um, there in those numbered items, uh, the first one, baptism is for believers. <clears throat> baptism is for believers. And so where we get this from is that all over the Bible, what you see is that somebody comes to faith in Jesus, they, they are converted, they become a Christian, and then they're baptized. All through the book of Acts, you see this. Um, and so for us, um, we're fine with dedication of babies to, to symbolize, hey, we're raising this kid together as a family. We're great with that. We would not call that baptism, though, because baptism, from what we can tell in Scripture, baptism follows salvation. It's, it's a symbol that you actually become a believer in Christ. So baptism is for believers. Uh, number two, baptism is symbolic. Baptism is symbolic. So there's a few different things that it's symbolic of. The first we saw in Romans chapter 6, right, that it's literally when you're, when you're baptized, when you go under the water, you're literally participating in the motion of death and resurrection. So even the motion of baptism represents what is true about Christ, that he's, been, that he's died and that he's resurrected, and then therefore we have also died to our old life and we're being resurrected to walk in newness of life. And so literally the motion of baptism, going under the water and coming back out, is, a, is symbolic 
symbolic of Christ's burial and resurrection. Um, it's also symbolic of washing. Um, so the idea of going underwater, usually when you're immersed in water, it's, it's to be cleansed of something. Um, and so it's symbolic of being cleansed from our sin. You see this a lot in scripture too, um, where it talks about be baptized for the, for the washing of your sins, for the cleansing of your sins. You're not literally cleansed of sins when you go underwater, but it's symbolic of the fact that Jesus has washed you clean from sin. Um, the last one, I, I really enjoy this quote by uh, John Piper. Uh, he says that baptism gives expression that we are gods from head to toe. Um, and so just the symbol of being completely immersed, immersed in water symbolizes, hey, all of my life now belongs to God. That I'm, I'm now completely immersed in who God is, that he, his life is now my life. My life is now his life, that I'm his possession. We're gods from head to toe. So baptism is also symbolic. Number three, uh, baptism is not a saving act, but occurs after salvation. Baptism is not a saving act, but occurs after salvation. So baptism is a, it's a symbol of what's already happened in the life of a believer. And so we don't get baptized to accomplish anything. We simply get baptized as a response to what Jesus has already accomplished. Um, so uh, big, big picture on this. This is why um, if, if your mentality is, hey, I want to be baptized because I want to gain victory over this particular sin, or I want to be baptized because that means I'm, I'm really a Christian, that's not really how baptism works. It's more of a symbol of what's already happened. And it's a very important symbol. It's a required symbol by Scripture, but it's not actually what saves you. It's not going underwater that saves you and makes you a Christian. That's already happened, and you're getting baptized um, to symbolize that. And because of that, it's something that you really only do once because it follows salvation, and you're only saved once. Um, so I know a lot of us have grown up in church, and maybe we would say, hey, throughout my life I might have believed in God, I might have, uh, I might have been a part of a church, I might would have even gone through some of the practices that Christians do, but in reality, we're only saved once. We might have a knowledge of God in our life before we're saved, but we're really only become Christians once, and so you really truly only get baptized once. Now, we'll clarify that in a little bit, what that means if you have been through baptism before, but you would say you didn't really know Jesus then, um, but really you're only truly baptized once. So an analogy that may help clarify some of this stuff, we use this one a lot, an analogy that we use for baptism is that of a wedding ring. So I wear a wedding ring to show that I'm married to my wife. Now, I'm married whether or not I wear this ring, just like we're saved whether or not we get baptized. However, if I'm married to my wife and I started refusing to wear my wedding ring, we've got a problem, right? Because that's weird if I'm married to my wife and refuse to wear my wedding ring. Well, in the same way, we would say there's something wrong if we've truly been saved and we refuse to be baptized. We're not interested in being baptized. Um, there's a quote by, I think it's Spurgeon, um, who talks about uh, if, you, if we're saying that we're Christians, but we refuse to follow the first command that Jesus gives Christians, which is to be baptized, there's something off there. So if we're saying that Jesus is Lord of my life and we're refusing to get baptized, that's a problem. Now, in the same way, if a single guy was like, man, I really want to be married, and he just went out and bought a wedding ring, never met a girl, never actually pursued her in a relationship, but started wearing a wedding ring, 
Well, that makes no sense at all, right? You don't become married by buying a wedding ring for yourself. You become married by pursuing someone, by having a relationship with someone, and then, and then actually going through the process of a wedding. So, in the same way, to become baptized in order to accomplish something, if you would say you're not sure that Jesus has actually done anything in your life to save you, that doesn't really make sense. There's no significance in it at all. So in the same way that you probably hear us when we do communion a lot of times at gatherings, we say, hey, if you're not a believer, uh, we would encourage you to refrain from taking communion because it really doesn't mean anything to you yet. Same is true of people in our church that would want to be baptized but haven't truly experienced salvation yet. We would say that doesn't really make sense. So we'd rather you not participate in baptism because that could contribute to a lot of confusion in your life. Does that kind of make sense, that portion of it, what the purpose of baptism is? Cool. So it's a picture, we, we, we talk about it a lot, as an outward symbol of an inward reality. Cool. Um, so next, uh, let's see, make sure I didn't miss anything. Um, so a couple of things, this isn't, there's not necessarily a space for this on your page, but if you want to take notes, you can. Um, so baptism conveys a message to both the observers of baptism, so the people that attend the baptism gathering and people in our church family, and it also communicates something to you guys as participants in baptism. Um, for observers, for the people that watch you get baptized and people in our church family, um, it's a proclamation that the one being baptized is taking part in the death burial and resurrection of Christ. So um, for people that watch, it's, it's you proclaiming, hey, I have now participated in Christ's death and burial and resurrection, and now I have new life in him. So that's a proclamation being made, and that's why we make a big deal out of it. That's why we celebrate it so much. That's why we try to have as many people show up as possible, because we want them to hear the truth of the gospel proclaimed through y'all's stories. Um, It also proclaims the work that has taken place in that person's life by the power of the gospel. So what you're doing when you get baptized is you're proclaiming, hey, Jesus is the only thing that can change somebody's heart. The only way that we can actually become new people is through Christ. And you're saying that in your baptism um, by participating in it. Um, For the one being baptized, so for you guys, uh, it communicates that you as an individual um, that we believe as a church that the Lord has saved you and raised you to walk in newness of life with him. Um, and so that's why when you filled out the baptism application, it was a mile long, uh, because we want to make real sure that we're not giving false assurance to anybody. We don't want to have somebody participate in baptism and then find out five years in the future that they actually misunderstood what the gospel was, that they didn't understand what they were participating in, and they're not walking with Jesus anymore. Um, So it's a big deal to us to make sure that we're not giving false confidence to people um, by letting them participate in baptism when they haven't really come to know Jesus. Um, Does that all make sense? That portion makes sense? Any questions on that? Cool. So Jeff's going to take us through a little bit. Hopefully you've heard this a lot if you've been coming around Midtown, uh, but Jeff's going to walk us through what is the gospel. Yeah, I'm also actually teaching Midtown class, so after this section when I'm done, I'm actually going to quickly leave. It's not a bathroom emergency. It's just I got to get to the next class. Uh, so kind of what even Ken was talking about, if um, baptism is all about understanding the gospel, it's what Jesus has already done in your life, I, it only makes sense in a baptism class to spend a little time talking about what is the gospel, making sure that we're all on the same page. Uh, can I get a volunteer who can read probably uh, with a loud, clear voice as well? I'm about to sign one of you mugs. 
Cool. Can you uh, just turn to Ephesians 2, 1 through 4? As you're turning there, I'm going to um, talk about a couple of things. Um, the word gospel, um, at the core meaning, the root of the word actually means good news. Um, and honestly, in order for something to be good news, there's got to be bad news to go with it, or else it would just be news. Does that make sense? So the core meaning of the gospel has to be good news. So when we jump into Ephesians 2, Paul's actually going to, before he talks about the good news, he's actually going to talk about the bad. He's going to unpack, things are not good, you guys, and, and that actually what makes the good news all the more beautiful. So uh, can you go ahead and read uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 4? <clears throat> As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. That's good. So Paul starts out saying, we are all sinners. We are all children of wrath. Like, um, so Paul, you will even argue that none of us were ever Christian. Like, it, we don't, so in the South, a lot of times we believe, like, oh, because I was born into a church, literally into a church, I'm, a, I'm a, probably a Christian. Paul here is saying, no, we, we were all actually sinners before we were ever a Christian. So Paul's like, here even saying, like, the moment you were born, you were already a sinner, which is kind of like, oh, that's so sad. And, you know, when I, when I see a little baby, I don't think, ah, oh, look at its little wicked, sinful heart. Paul's actually saying, no, that little, as a child, we were sinners already in the very beginning, um, which is, that's not really good news. And even, he even talks about we were children of wrath. We were in deserve of God's wrath um, because of our rebellion against him. So the very first part of the gospel is actually the bad news. It's just like, we were hopelessly, we're hopeless, like we were sinners. Um, so I want to unpack sin just a little bit. Uh, I think a lot of times when we hear sin, we think about, there are actually two types of sin. And the first uh, type we would probably already know is sin of um, commission. It just means sin that you have committed. So if I, uh, for whatever reason, decide to hit Ken in the face, people are like, you probably should have not done that. That was you, you should not punch him. So that's a sin that I committed. I punched Kent in the face for no good reason. Um, but there's another type, um, one that a lot Bible even talks about a lot as well. It's called a sin of omission, a sin that we sh- we ought to do, like um, the things that we ought to do but we never do. So the Bible talks a lot about love your neighbor, consider others better than yourself, outdo one another in honor, bear with one another, have patience to one toward one another. I cannot tell you how often I mess up in that area. Um, so, for even for example, like uh, in college, one of my roommates, he's probably the most self-centered jerk that I've ever met in my life. He's uh, he's kind of like the Kanye West, like Kanye West incarnate in my life. But he's a type of guy that if he he he's probably willing to unplug your life support just so he can charge his phone. He's that type of a guy. Um, living with him, there's there's not many moments where I, I look at him going. Man, I really ought to serve Max right now. I ought to be bare with Max right now. Most of the time, I'm just angry, yelling at him, lashing at him. But there's not a part of me that I want to love him well. That's so. That's sin of omission. Like there, there are things that I ought to do for Max. I don't do when the, he leaves his dish, like dirty dishes out. I ought to serve him and wash it for him. I said no, thank you. Um, so that's sin of omission. Um, so. 
also, there are many, many ways we can commit uh, different um, in sin, and we're, we're actually pretty good at this, uh, believe it or not. There are three ways you can commit. Um, a lot. I think the most obvious one, the lot of times we think about is hands level. Like, things that we do or we don't do. On a hands level, we should um, to commit sin. So, kind of even what I mentioned earlier, if I punch Kent in the face, that's a hands level type of a sin. But there's actually something even that goes a little bit deeper, is on a heart level that we can sin. Like, there, we love things that we ought not to love. So I, I'm a huge Clemson fan. I'm not going to apologize, but I am a huge Clemson fan. Uh, and there will be moments in my life where I just kind of like, Clemson is my God. This is great. It hasn't been the case the last five years because we keep getting whipped by USC. But this year it's like, oh, we want. This is going to be a great God. There's just something deep in my heart where I love things that I ought not to love. I just I chase after things that are not Jesus. I love I elevate good things to the ultimate thing. So on a heart level, there are ways that we, we can be sinful, that we, we, we love the wrong things. Um, even And then there's another level on the head level that this is probably a, a one that kind of I always just kind of let forget or even I just I don't even realize. There are many thoughts in my life that are just bad. Um, it, honestly, it, I don't even, I just, they just kind of, boom, just fly through my mind. I don't even think twice about it. So even like, a lot of times it comes up is while I'm driving. When I'm driving on the road, I think I am the most smartest man on the planet, and everyone else around me are idiots. And that's how I operate when I'm driving. Just kind of like, just the thoughts that goes in my, through my head while I'm driving, just like, these are not great thoughts. If people know what I'm actually thinking, this is bad. You know, so even just on a head level, they're just like tons of times that we just commit sin. There's all three levels. So head, heart, and hands, are, those are all ways that we do sin and and Paul even talks about, so as some of all of this, as who we are as sinners, we are in deserve of God's wrath. Um, and that's, I mean, that's what he said, we're children of wrath. We deserve death. Even Romans call the wages of sin is death. We don't deserve to be in relationship with God. We, if anything, he declared that we all to die for our sins. And then you progress on to, uh, further on, Ephesians 5, um, which I don't say, I think it's probably the two, one of the two most beautiful words in the Bible, verse um, four says, but God, like Paul tra- like changes his tone all of a sudden. He was saying, he was naming all the bad news going on and he stopped and he kind of, there's a pause and he says, but God, he kind of shit, like flipped the script a little bit, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved so that's the good news um, that's the good news that Paul is saying despite who you are God was good and loving us and come and saved us um, so that's where um, so the second part of the gospel comes in the cross and atonement Jesus came lived the life that we, we could not live um, and died a death that we deserve that he died and paid for our penalty on the cross and then um, and then all in all, paid for the sin that we um, that we all committed. Um, do you want to do this too? Yeah, yeah. Let me it out. Yeah. Cool. All right. Just Sorry, I, I'm out of time, so I'm going to go do my bathroom emergency, and then Ken's going to cover for me. Everyone say thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. I don't know why I do that. Um, all right. So, cross and atonement. And Jeff kind of already uh, started talking about the big idea when Jesus went to the cross. Um, He actually atoned for, he paid for the wrath that was due us because of our sin. And and kind of something I'd add on the subject of wrath, um, that's a hard concept for people to wrestle with sometimes. But if you think about it, um, anytime someone sins against me, 
I'm going to have wrath towards them. Now, because I'm a sinful human being, I'm going to amplify that, and that's going to get distorted, and I'm going to express it in wrong ways. But there's part of that where there's such a thing as just anger. When someone sins against me, it's not necessarily wrong for me to be angry. It all depends on how I express that. Well, if you take that and you look at the fact that since God is our creator, all sin is against God, that all sin we commit is against God, well, then it's right for him to have wrath towards that sin and towards the people who committed that sin. So what Jesus did on the cross is that he actually went and atoned for, which is just a word for paid for, our sin. You see this, you see uh, the Bible points to this throughout scripture, um, that ultimately that God would actually come himself and that he would intercept the wrath that was due us on the cross. And that's why when you, when you see depictions of the cross, when you read about the cross, it, it, was, it was bloody, it was disgusting, it was it, it, so much of it, you just read it and you're going, this seems excessive. And the reason is because God was pouring out wrath for all humans across all of eternity on Jesus. That's why the cross is also very beautiful for us. Because it means that God intercepted the wrath that was due us in the person Jesus. Um, So he actually atoned for our sin. Um, So uh, the next thing, kind of the next step in that process is that we respond to what Jesus did um, through grace by faith. And so grace is just the, it just means undeserved favor, that um, God, for, for no reason, by no merit that we earned, by nothing that we did, chose to intercept that wrath, and that's grace towards us. That's unmerited favor. It's a gift that God would do that. Um, and then how we respond is by faith. We believe in that grace, and that's what it means to be a Christian, that you believe that that was for you when God did that on the cross. Um, and then lastly, um, as a result of that faith, um, we receive transformation and evidences of faith. Um, so what that means is sometimes very slowly and sometimes very quickly, we begin to be set free from the things that we were enslaved to before we were Christians. Now, um, we're all over the map on this. So I know of some people that became Christians and all of a sudden things that they were addicted to, things that they were enslaved to, a few people I know, like it just turned off. Like they just all of a sudden did not chase after the same things. For the majority of us, it is much slower than that. And somebody should say amen. Because it takes forever sometimes for us to be sanctified into who God wants us to be. Um, So what we're looking for here is not perfection. Um, Becoming a Christian does not mean perfection in any way, shape, or form. But what it does mean is that there's evidences of the fact that God is slowly setting us free from the things that have enslaved us before. That now we love different things. That at a heart level, we care about things differently than we did before we knew Jesus. And so that's transformation and evidences of faith. Any questions on those? Cool. So kind of lastly here um, in this last section, I just want to ask the question, are we ready to be baptized? So this will just kind of be a diagnostic. Um, Obviously, you guys are here because you believe that you are ready to be baptized. And even some of the interviews that we've done and the reason that we talk to your life group leaders and all that good stuff is because we want to make sure that you are. But this is still just a helpful diagnostic to have. If you're still wrestling with some of it, if you're still processing through some of it, these will just be helpful questions to know. So um, there's actually only five numbers. I'm actually going to do six because I think there's one that will be helpful at the end. Uh, Number one, uh, are you a believer in Christ? Are you a believer in Christ? (coughs) 
So what that means practically is, do you believe in what we just talked about in the gospel? Do you believe that you're justified before God by what he did on the cross? Uh, real technically, that, uh, so that means none of us are always a Christian. Uh, none of us were born a Christian. Now, you may have been really young when you became a Christian, and you don't remember the exact time because you were so young. It, it may be that there wasn't like a point. Like you can't say, hey, during this message at the 42-minute mark, that's because Luda was preaching, it was 42-minute song. Um, but during, during this message, this is exactly the moment where I accepted Jesus. That may be true for you. It also may not. For me, uh, I heard about who Jesus was, and that was intriguing to me. And I joined a life group, and sometime over the next six months, I became a Christian. But I have no idea what day it was. Um, it was just sometime at one point when I joined that life group, I was not a Christian. After six months, I had become a Christian, and I couldn't pinpoint when it was. So that doesn't mean that you have to point to a specific conversion moment, but it does mean we're believing that, hey, I wasn't born a Christian. I was born under God's wrath. I was born an enemy of God, and Jesus made me a Christian by saving me. Um, the other thing that we try to communicate here is that being a Christian is not trying your hardest to live the Christian life. Uh, in a lot of ways, that's actually opposed to the gospel. Um, now, what's absolutely true is that God has done everything to make us a Christian. God has done everything to accomplish salvation for us. And in light of that, yeah, we're invited to give our whole lives away to who Jesus is. We're invited to live in obedience to who he is. Um, but uh, being a Christian does not mean I'm going to now try my hardest to live the Christian life. If anything, it means, hey, I'm going to try and I'm absolutely going to fail and I'm going to run to Jesus when I do. That's what being a Christian means. So number one, are you a believer in Christ? Number two, uh, do you have an ability to articulate the gospel? Number two, do you have an ability to articulate the gospel? So um, no big words are needed here. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to use words like justified and atonement. Um, what you do have to communicate, though, is that I believe that my relationship with God is on the basis of what Jesus did on the cross. That in the cross, he saved me, he rescued me into his family, and set me on his mission. Um, you don't have to be super articulate in this. We just want to make sure that you have the ability to communicate what it is that saved you, which is the good news of Jesus. So ability to articulate the gospel. Number three, uh, do you have an ability to articulate your story? Do you have an ability to articulate your story? Um, the Baptist word for that, if you grew up Baptist, is testimony. Uh, if that helps at all to you. Um, but basically that means, can you on some level articulate your sin, the things that you loved and did before you knew Jesus? Can you articulate your repentance, what Jesus used to draw you to himself, what he changed in you, um, and then how you experienced Jesus? So whether that was through a sermon, through a relationship with people, whatever it was, can you articulate some semblance of, here's who I was before Jesus, here's what Jesus did, and here's who I am now. So ability to articulate your story. Number four, do you have the right understanding of baptism? Do you have the right understanding of baptism? So big picture here just goes back to what we said in that first section. Um, are you participating in baptism as a response and a symbol of what Jesus has done in your life? Or are you participating in baptism because you think somehow that gets you closer to God? Because that's one of the basics of the gospel is the only thing that gets us closer to God is Jesus. Nothing else do we need to accomplish salvation or to be closer to Jesus. Um, so uh, big picture here, this is a somewhat exaggerated example of it. Um, but 
Uh, one time we had somebody that signed up for the baptism class, um, and I think they just thought that that year was their year of spiritual journey. Um, and so they had uh, been at a, they had been spending time with a monk at like a, a monastery where they just were getting away with God. Uh, they had uh, participated in Buddhism for a little bit. They had tried just some basic secularism, kind of meditating on the self-centering type of stuff. And on their baptism application, they said, and so I figured I'd try bat- baptism next. If that's your motivation, that indicates that you don't understand what baptism is. Okay, and I know that's an exaggeration, but I think on a certain level, just like we do with anything else, we begin to believe that certain acts, certain rituals actually get us closer to God, and they don't. Um, So our only motivation, our only understanding of baptism, that's a symbol and it's a response to what Jesus has already done in our life. And then number five, a right motivation for (coughs) baptism. (coughs) A right motivation for baptism. Real simply, uh, we don't get baptized uh, to show what we are going to do for God. Uh, We get baptized to show what God has done for us. It's the right motivation for baptism. And then lastly, this is number six that I don't think is on the outline, but um, do you have evidences of faith? Evidences of faith. Again, we're not looking for perfection here, but do do you have a love for God? Do you love God? Do you love Jesus? Do you have a gratitude for salvation? Are you thankful for what Jesus has done in your life? Do you have a desire and eagerness to learn about the things of God? Do you you have now a desire to to get in the Word and read? I'm not saying you never struggle with it, but I'm saying is there a desire to get to know who God is regularly? Uh, Obedience to the commands of God and a desire to obey. So like we said, this is a slow process. Sometimes God grows us over time. But do we now have a, when, when we disobey God, does it grieve us and do we turn to Jesus as a result or are we just fine with it? Because if we're just fine with it all the time, it's a good indication that the Holy Spirit hasn't actually changed our heart. Uh, do you have conviction when you sin? When you do sin, do you realize it? Um, does it come to your attention? Even sometimes if you're blind to it, do you listen when community comes and approaches you about it? When somebody comes to you and says, hey man, I think you're off in this, do you listen or do you refuse to listen? Um, and there, is there evidence of the Spirit conforming you to the image of Jesus? Um, so in the Bible, it talks about spiritual fruit, things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, humility, and service. Those are all, um, those are all in the Bible. That it, you certainly might be growing in some areas more than others, but the big picture is, is God making you into a new person? And then do you have a growing love for others? So First John says it pretty strongly. Uh, if you don't love people who you can see, you cannot love God who you can't see. Um, which is just a pretty strong way of saying, uh, if you're saying that you've become a Christian and you don't love other believers, there's something seriously off there. And then lastly, engaging in prayer. So you're regular, you don't have to be perfect at prayer. And a prayer is something that we all wrestle with. But do you, do you regularly engage in talking to God? Cool. Any questions on those six questions, those six things? Anything unclear? Cool. Um, And then last note, I told you that we would mention this. Uh, Because I know a lot of you have participated in some type of baptism before, uh, we always just like to clarify what you should do. Um, So to put it super simply, um, 
if you have been baptized since genuinely becoming a Christian already, then there's no reason for you to get baptized again. So if you, if you legitimately became a Christian, whether it was several years ago or maybe when you were a kid, um, and you were baptized after that, um, but you would say you were genuinely a Christian before then, then there's no need for you to get baptized again. However, um, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, but you would say, man, I didn't really see any evidence that I was actually a Christian after that point. It was just an emotional decision, or I was pressured into it because my friends were all getting baptized, or um, I just thought I knew what it meant to follow God, but, but I didn't see any evidence of following Jesus in my life after that, then we would say, yeah, go ahead and get baptized, because even though you were in water before, that was not a real baptism, because baptism follows salvation. Does that make sense? I know that can be really confusing to people, so if you have questions on that, feel free to ask them. Good on that? Cool. Any questions about any of this that might be helpful? Man, I'm shocked it was that clear. Um, All right, so lastly, uh, what we're going to talk about is how to share your story. So, um... If you've been to a Midtown Baptism gathering before, you know that the way we do it is we actually let you guys share on video what Jesus has done in your life. We let you tell your story. Um, So that that way when people are seeing you get baptized, they actually get to hear about what your life was like before Jesus and the difference that your life um, has seen since you've known Jesus. And that's a huge deal for us. And and a big part of the reason that we do it is just because our culture um, a lot of times is uh, very hesitant to listen to people preach. Um, we're still going to preach most every week at the gathering, but on Easter, we know that people are going to show up who don't know Jesus. Sometimes hearing a person's story proclaiming who Jesus is, is a lot, is a lot less of an obstacle to get over for people. If somebody hears you talk about, here's who I was before Jesus, here's what Jesus did, and here's who I am now, that's a lot more disarming than a person standing up on stage and preaching at them. So what we want to do is we want to take every opportunity to put on display for people, hey, Jesus really does what he says he does. Jesus really sets people free from sin, and here's 30-something examples of that for you to see. Um, And that's a huge deal for us. We've seen people, there's been times where we've done baptisms, and people show up at the baptism service, they see people get baptized, and then at the end of it, we have to like clear everybody out because they've decided they want to get baptized as a result of hearing someone's story. Um, which is just incredible. So that's we pray for that, that that would happen every single time. But it's a huge deal for us for you guys to get to share your story so that people can hear about what Jesus has done in your life. Um, so what I want to do is just kind of walk you through real quickly how to plan to do that. I know that that can be intimidating for people to be on video. Um, and so we're going to give you all the tools you need to be successful in doing that. Um, super simple. So introduction, you're going to say, hello, my name is, Um, hopefully you're good on that part, Uh, (laughs) the body of your story, basically just think about it in three different movements, kind of. Um, A is who were you before Jesus saved you? So the questions that you're wanting to answer there is, what was my life like before I was a Christian? What things did I love? What things did I chase after? What things did I care most about? What was I wrapped up in? Any of that. Um, it's important note here to note that some, some of your stories is going to sound like I was living a life of rebellion. I was chasing after all these things. I was running after girls or drugs or alcohol, whatever it was. Um, but Jesus also saves people out of religiousness. 
Um, and so some of you are going to go, hey man, my life before Jesus looked like I was a good church kid. I was following all the rules. Um, I was doing all the things that I should be doing and not doing any of the things that I shouldn't be doing. But my heart had no love for Jesus. I had no passion for the things of God. I didn't care about who he was. I didn't want to repent of sin. I didn't hate my sin. I was just following the rules is all I was doing. So don't feel like you have to make it like this dramatic thing where like, I woke up in an El Camino on the way to Texas, completely wasted. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be that kind of story. You can say, hey, Jesus saved me out of religion. And that's just as powerful of a story. And I think especially in the South, people need to hear that story. Because they don't realize that religion is not the same as the gospel. So, uh, who were you before Jesus saved you? B, how did Jesus start getting your attention and or save you? So again, you don't have to, if you can't pinpoint a specific moment that this happened, that's fine. You don't have to have that. Um, but basically we're asking, hey, did, did Jesus use a life group or a community of believers to get your attention? Did he use a sermon? Did he use a camp that you went to? Did he use maybe just like a mentor type relationship with one other person? What, what means did Jesus use to start drawing you towards, towards himself? How did he do that? And then see what is Jesus teaching you now? So essentially, how is life now different than it was before Jesus? What are new things that I love and care about? Um, how have my desires changed? What, what new things do I love as a result of my relationship with Jesus? Um, if you don't mention it in that stuff, we may also ask you to um, answer a couple other questions. Um, what is the gospel? Which is just objectively, what has Jesus accomplished for you? And then why is the gospel good news for you? So um, those are kind of two different parts of the same question. Objectively, what did Jesus accomplish on the cross? And then how is that good news for me? Why is the fact that Jesus did that good news for, for my own life? Does that all make sense, how to go about telling your story? Questions on that? Cool. Okay. So if you've you kind of been a Christian your whole life, like you don't really know where that point is, um, like how do you talk about who you were before you So you would say like when you were younger, just at some point it happened? Um, I think what I would focus on then is uh, how Jesus is gradually changing your desires. So just what growth have you seen over time? Um, what are things that Jesus is teaching you? What, what have you known? What idols is he setting you free from? All that good stuff. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Other questions? That's a good one. Cool. Uh, if you have questions and you want to come ask me afterwards, you totally can. Uh, what I'll do is I'll pull up another spreadsheet on that computer. So we're shooting videos on February 28th and March 1st, which is a Saturday and Sunday. We figured hopefully most people will be able to make it on one of those two days. So we've actually got a time slot for you to sign up for. You can look at all the time, sign up for one that you know you can make it to. Uh, if you can't make it to any of the ones that are on the page, um, come talk to me. We'll figure out another solution. I'll maybe email you this week about it. Um, but make sure you get signed up for one of those before you leave. Cool. Thank you all for coming. Excited for you.